Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remixed, Season 3, Episode 1, Time After Time. Uh, this episode was directed by Ed Bianchi. Bianchi uh, Vulture had it ranked 52nd all-time on their list of Wire episodes, so they really particularly did not care for it. Um, and, of course, we had the epigraph, don't matter how many times you get burnt, you keep doing the same. One, Bodie brought us, um, began the season with that, uh, with that saying, with that epigraph, and with that phrase. Um, themes, a new reality. A new reality for the Barksdales, a new reality for the, for one, Dennis Cuddy Wise, and a new reality for, for many of our other characters, um, a couple of our other characters, we, which we will see throughout the course of the season. Season three as a whole, I remember when it, it, to me, you can chime in on this, Mr. Sapp. Yeah. It was the first season where, in which I feel that the show was, it was the first anticipated season. Um. Season one, nobody, of course, nobody knew about the show. People caught on. Okay. Season two, um, even even coming off coming off a great season one, I, I didn't sense yeah. the anticipation as high for season two. I I felt it before season three. Like it had to, you know, they were on that nine p.m. you know primetime slot on HBO. Um, I felt season three. Season three, <laughs> yeah. Was the first, was the first time I'm looking for it. No, I was just going to say season three is where the, where the wire became special. Yeah. 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 So it yeah, was season, really good up until this point. Then season three happened and the wire was special. So, as always, we know that the opening scene not only sets the tone for the episode. Uh, uh, in terms of the first episode, it sets the tone for the beginning of the season. Let's take a look. So we have Bodie, Pudding, and Pooh talking about the future, uh, talking about various stories in terms of what in their interpretation of what's going on. Mayor Royce talking about reform and the, it, that being a philosophy of his administration. And Bodie sees the big picture. Like, forget what Poot's saying. Forget what, you know, Pudding didn't know what was going on. It's like, look, yo, things about to get real. We got the best territory. And I thought it was symbolic. Towers come down. That, you know, you want to say, you want to say that was symbolic in terms of where the Barksdales stood at. Uh, What were your thoughts on this opening scene? Uh, Brilliantly written. Um, to start off the season. Yeah, reform, reform, reform um, is uh, just kind of like the big, the big thing. Like they, they, they kind of set the foundation. That's what you're, you're absolutely right. It's a brilliantly written opening scene, and they kind of set the foundation for not only where the show's going to go this episode, this season, but also where the show is going to go forward from here. Up until this point in time, the watch. Wire has pointed out 
so some of societal's problems as seen by the show. Um, <clears throat> um, and identified what characters could do to react to their immediate environment. So in response to the drug trade, the uh, police department creates a unit to try to see if they can get better, uh, better arrests, better quality arrests. But that's not a societal problem. That's that police department's problem. Um, and so that's where the wire was up at point, pointing out problems. This is with, with kind of like the reform edict. It also represents the show presenting some answers, not the definitive answer, but potential answers, potential solutions, or potential ways in which to attack some of societal's ills. And then you make your own, you make up your own mind. They lay out the argument and show some of the factors, and then you make up your own mind as a citizen. So you're right, brilliantly written. So we go to uh, McNulty, Sidner, and uh, Cheese. Uh, of course, remember Cheese from last season, uh, one of Prop Joe's, uh, one of Prop Joe's lieutenants. Uh, they are, of course, they are listening to Prop Joe, um, listening to uh, Prop Joe sh soldier, one of Prop Joe's other soldiers talk on the, on the wire. We also get introduced to a new member of the detail, Carolyn Massey, the one, the lady, the lady was cutting coupons. We find out that she's also talented at breaking down, at decoding, um, at decoding language on the wire, similar to, you know, similar to Perez and also Freeman, that she has an ear for it as well. Um, your thoughts, so Signer and, uh, you know, Signer and McNulty are, 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 are hiding out in a uh, bacon, watching cheese, sending messages, um, you know, then going back and forth with uh, Freeman in terms of what what's going on and, and giving them information as well. And right now, uh, up until this point, they really don't have uh, have much uh, to say at least. Remember from from last season, they made the connection uh, through some information, through bubbles and through some of their own information that they that that uh, Prop Joe was was working with Stringer. Um, what were your thoughts on uh, on this particular scene? Yeah, this I mean, like like a lot of this episode when you were talking about Vulture's ranking, um, I actually don't disagree with the ranking because the beginning of the seasons of The Wire are deliberately paced for a reason, and so a lot of this show is going to be a lot of setup. It's the right. first episode of season three. So it's going to be a lot of setup. So that's what's going on in this episode. They're resetting the table for, or they're showing you how they set the table for season three. So they're showing you where all the major players are right now. Yeah. Between that and introducing the introduction to a number of new characters. Uh, yeah. This was definitely, yeah, I, I really didn't have it. To your point, didn't really have a problem with Vulture's ranking as in comparison to some other yeah. rankings in season two, um, for that matter, uh, to be honest with you. I was like, okay, 52, I was like, yeah, I could see, you know, I could see it being one on the, on the lower end, considering all that they had to introduce uh, in this one episode, in this one particular episode. So you have Herc 
Carver and some new Western District cops that we uh, that we get introduced to, uh, Dozeman and a couple other cops. Uh, they get tricked by the corner boys into chasing a decoy who they thought had had the drugs. Turns out that they turns out that uh, um, turns out that the, that the the boys who were at who they lined up against the wall, one of those boys just calmly. After watching the cops chase the decoy, calmly walked off with the stash and got away. Um, very, I, I, I thought it was brilliant, brilliant by the dealers, just how they played it. Um, and then Carver chases the decoy. They go into a um, this alleyway, see Herc playing the shaft music and on, you know, you know, doing what he loves to do, and that's you know, just you know, rumble, you know, rumble in the streets and you know, things of that nature. That's what, Herc, that's what Herc loves to do. Carver gets on top of a car, gives this we will not lose speech and basically a bunch of puffing, puffing, and nothing because nothing was, as we'll see later on in the episode, it was, it, nothing was accomplished. And that was a recurring theme in this episode in regards to the type of policing that those guys were, uh, were doing. We'll see some scenes down the road in this episode um, what were your thoughts on, on, on this uh, on this scene speaking to policing in the Western District? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, well said. Uh, pointless is what they're comfortable with, but ultimately is ineffective. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, yes. So yeah, perfect, perfect point. And by the way, uh, yeah, you, you, if you remember from last season, not you in particular, but to my audience, Herc and Carver, you know, Carver basically told Bunny, I'm going to the Western District. So they both end up landing in the Western District. And I it's certainly no surprise that Carver, that uh, Herc followed Carver to, you know, to the Western um, as well. So they both are are back together in the Western, in the Western District after being, uh, after working the detail um, with, uh, with Lieutenant, uh, with, with Daniels and the rest of the, uh, detail, uh, in the South, in the, in the rest of the detail or last season. Um, Stringer, Bodie, Shamrock, uh, Stringer, Bodie, Shamrock, and Pooh, and the, and, and the Barksdale gang and the rest of, and the rest of, and, and a number of Barksdale soldiers, also, um, Slim Charles. So Stringer at this point is in total control is at his is at his apex. Um, he's in. A, he's doing the product meeting. He is in control. He has the product flowing through the tower. Well, had it through the towers, but has it still. Despite the towers going down, being imploded, he still has the best product um, in the deal with Prop Joe. So basically, Stringer lays out the future, the present, and the future of you know of how his vision uh, is in terms of how things should be done meaning no meaning no minimum to no violence and just depending on your product territory ain't shit if your product is weak um that's what he says in the um in that particular in this scene as they are using this robber or rules of order Rules of order, way of doing, um, of doing, of conducting a uh, conducting a meeting. That's being that's being. Uh, Rock was leading that part of it. Um, Slim, Slim Charles, who is the, the new Barksdale enforcer, you want to call him, you know, 
we they like and from that sense uh yeah i guess you can call him that that type of character we'll get to know more about him he's a new barksdale enforcer the top enforcer he um said something very important in this scene and i think it's something that you know that you should remember and think of for the rest of the season to be honest with you he says all the product in the world don't mean nothing if you're constantly getting your ass whooped standing on someone's board. Very important in terms of the direction of, uh, of, of, of what we'll see transpire throughout the course of the season. Stringer does, seems not to be worried about that stamp from that standpoint. He says, you know, the violence is the violence that brings the bodies. And, you know, he got into a, kind of a back and forth with, with, um, with uh, Bodie, Bodie's like, you know, you know, what are we going to, if we don't have the territory, basically, what are we going to do? Uh, you know, what are we going to do? You know, we should just take it. And he says, you know, and Stringer replies, well, how, how, how take it? Just, you know, what do you mean take it? How should we take it? Like, you know, basically, and then he, he you know, he pokes Bodie by bringing up what happened on uh, Tarvin last season with the shootout uh, with the little boy getting killed. Um, and then you have this, you know, and then you have Pooh says, does the chair recognize, chair recognizes, he says, he says, chair recognizes Pooh. Pooh stands up and says, the chair know we're going to look like some punk ass bitches. And this, you know, of course, upset, upset Stringer saying, basically saying, y'all need to think about this shit on some grown man, you know, on some grown man shit and leave that, uh, leave that corner bullshit, you know, leave that corner bullshit alone. So the tone has been set by Stringer in terms of how the organization is going to run um, as long as he's number one. Um, what were your thoughts on a just, just again, a, a brilliant scene, um, just, and you see, again, you see, this is Stringer at his apex in terms of his, his standing in the Barksdale organization. Well, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of different things. I mean, you did a really good job of kind of like laying out the scene and structurally what what is happening. So let me zoom out a little bit. Um, so this is a philosophy. This this entire season is going to be the, be about battles of philosophies. Um, the the report was the perfect one at the beginning, and it's perfect that this season starts to transition into opening up the world, particularly going into to the political realm. And so. Um, it, it's it's capitalism versus socialism versus communism. Like so, so uh, uh, um, so Stringer Stringer lays out his argument for his version of how he sees the game want to be want to run, but also um, also uh. His is but one of the arguments um, that that are out there, and we're going to see other people lay out theirs. But you look at Stringers. Stringers is the anti. Establishment. Uh, no, uh-uh, it's not anti because he's the establishment. He's very much the establishment. It's a new type type of establishment, but he's very much the establishment. He's the anti uh, um, soldier. Paul Castellano, John Gotti is the way you think about it. Got right, it. like he wants yeah. to be Paul, he he wants to be Paul Castellano, um, uh, 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 Barksdale is is Gotti, and will always be Gotti. 
Um, and uh, or or he's or yeah. Um, Stringer's Castellano always has been Castellano, always will be a Castellano, and uh, Avon is. Uh, I mean, Barksdale is a soldier, always will be a soldier, always will be Gotti, and so the philosophies are in direct conflict of each other. Will always be in direct conflict of each other, um, and so this is this is the very very beginning of setting that up. So Stringer just in this meeting laid out his philosophy. His version of, uh, I guess if we we're relating it to a political philosophy. His would be capitalism. Yeah, he a couple of. He say nothing else matters. Damn pride, damn all this, this, this honor stuff. All these things for soldiers. This is just about making money. Damn a territory. This is about making money. Yeah, he a um, couple of other things. He also. He also, you know, he also meant, you know, he's also mentioned about, you know, how, because, you know, listen, Barksdale's had the best territory. They no longer, so the Barksdale's, you know, with the towers going down, they actually have to go out there and grind in the street now. They don't have the luxury of having that, you know, again, the best territory in, in the city. And, you know, they had a lot, Stringer believes that, other crews will cop their re based on the fact that they have the best product. Stringer, Stringer doesn't believe anything. He's giving them the empirical evidence of it because that's the whole point of the towers. He said, we lost half the towers and we made more money. So he's, he's laying down an argument that, that actual physical territory means nothing. Yes. So he's saying that best, there is no best territory. The only thing that matters is having the best product. Right. No, he believes. He, yes, and he believes that people people will come to them because they have that product. Because well, no, he believes they're going to sell to those people. They're not going to come to him. I well, I mean, to sell, but yeah, you know, the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're saying the same thing. Other dealers. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so we're saying the same. Um, because I want to make a point about that. Um, yeah. you had uh, not Bodie. But um, Slim Charles, so Slim Charles says, all right, I, Slim Charles says, what if they don't cop Aria? And Stringer says, I'm going to worry about that when it, if it happens. Stringer's enormously confident about his, you know, his ideas and his philosophy. Also, and I, I, we'll move on to the next scene, there was not, you know, despite the fact that these are Stringer's guys, these are Stringer's guys, Bodies, the Poots, Shamrocks, Country, some of the other, you know, some of the other guys from season two, was didn't seem to be a lot of buy-in in that room. I noticed that too, in watching the scene, did not seem to be a lot of buy-in. I mean, like he's proposing something completely new and different, so it's going to be hard to get that initial buy-in when nobody knows what the hell you're talking about, because nobody's ever seen anything he's proposing. Yeah. Yeah, no question. So we get back to the detail, Perlman Daniels. Again, very little drug, drug talk on, on, the, on the wires with, with Prop Joe, the soldiers from uh, with Prop Joe and, um, and Cheese. Perlman and Daniels are ready to move on. Um, they had a couple months left on the wiretap, and they, you know, mur again, murders are going up in the, around the city. Uh, McNulty's like, we, put, we did all this work 
to, you know, we're going to do all this work and surveillance just to give up. Um, he, of course, is obsessed with, you know, with going after Stringer and uh, going after Stringer and, and, and wanting to get, you know, take down Stringer. Um, but Daniels and Perlman are both ready to move on if, 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 if it doesn't improve and if Pop Joe's people don't start, doesn't, you know, don't, don't get started talking, you know, real drug talking or if it doesn't lead to anybody that matters. They, right now, they're getting, you know, little, little small time dudes who are, who are really not, you know, who are bit players. They want, you know, cause they want the lieutenants, they want the Pop Joe's, they want the stringers of the world. Right now, they're nowhere, anywhere close to that. Um, anywhere close to that. So you have, we talked about different philosophies, even with, you know, within the Barksdale ranks and in terms of introducing the philosophy, you have the detail at odds in terms of somewhat at odds. It's not even, I shouldn't say the entire details because it's basically McNulty. It's not, it's, it's McNulty. Everybody else is kind of like, okay, well, we can kind of see where Pearlman and Dance are coming from. It's, it's McNulty. And even McNulty, I believe this was the scene where he's, he, uh, he says, he tells Stringer, not Stringer, he tells um, Freeman, don't let him go soft on this. And then Freeman's like, you know, all about you, basically, and yeah. checks McNulty at the end of that scene. So we see where this is going as far as... Uh, uh, at the end of that scene, McNulty does something. does this patent. What did I do? But I, what yeah, did I yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, and they like, okay, they're looking like, yeah, really? So we see kind of where he's going versus the rest of the detail, in particular the two top dogs in terms of Daniels and, and Perlman, in terms of what, you know, where direction that they want to go in. Um, Colvin, Baker, Castor, of course Colvin is, is major Colvin leader, leading the release of the Western District. We saw him briefly in season two at that murder. We will we'll see that he, play, he will play a major role in this season. He is talking to two new officers, Baker and Castor, um, and he asked them questions basically on where they're at. They're in the building on where on where they're at. Where's North? Where's Where's North? And they basically, you know, they could not answer the question. They didn't know where North was, where North was pointing. So he just gives them a couple of compasses, and then um, says that you know, if you don't know where you're at in the building, how are you gonna know where you? How are you gonna know uh, to give your fellow officer some information if you're out on a foot trace, on a foot chase, or in the street, or in the street? So you know, some some schooling from you know from an experienced officer for some rookies, and he basically he tells them, I don't want to send you, I don't want to give you a next of kin that call that uh, I lost a couple of officers because you know because some bullshit basically. So they get teased by Hurricane Carver, of course, and uh, later on in that scene you see Colvin talking to Herc and Garver about the, about the arrest. Um, and basically, again, Herc and Garver, I mentioned earlier, have nothing, uh, have nothing. And, and he basically ch chastised them for basically for wasting a number of resources. Now during a number of resources, now during that scene, and I forgot to mention when they were chasing the uh, fake, the, the decoy, there were about six cop cars, a helicopter, I mean, you would have thought they were chasing, uh, you know, a brigade. They had a brigade, basically, and nothing came out of it. So they, so, you know, so, of course, he's, Colvin's bothered by this, um, certainly using all this manpower to get, 
uh, to have nothing come out of it. Um, what were your thoughts? And by and they beat up a witness, and the witness that they chased, they beat him up, and he didn't have no drugs. And yeah, of course, we, they found out he had no drugs on him. Um, your thoughts on 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 this particular scene? Yeah, like, you know, Hurricane Carve doing doing what they're again like comfortable, what they're comfortable with, but doesn't get any of the desired results, which is what the whole point of the detail was was about. Um, as far as everything that's going on with uh, with um, Coven, um, what's the captain? Coven, maybe Coven. That's right. Uh, so um, whatever, what's going on with it's just like it's just that that it was a great introduction scene. Yeah, great setup for him. Great introduction for him. Yep. So we have Bubbles, Johnny, and Marlo. Um, Bubbles and Johnny have a uh, cart of metals uh, that they're going, of course, try to uh, have a cart of metals. The cart, now they, they, the cart, they lose control of the cart and it hits a, it hits Marlowe's truck. Um, it hits Marlowe's truck. Now, before even Marlowe comes out, Marlowe's muscle puts a gun to Bubbles and Johnny, puts a gun to Bubbles and Johnny and basically was ready to kill him, um, saying, you know, look what they did to my truck. And saying, you know, you have Bubba begging for his life, saying, you know, begging for his life. Marlo comes out um, saying, and basically says, you know, what, you know, what's going on? They tell him about the, he tells him about the, tells him about the truck. Marlo says, do it or don't. I got places to be. And the, the guys said, you know, the guys let them go, but because of principle, takes their pants, which I, I clearly didn't understand. I mean, I understand the principle aspect, but I, I didn't, I wouldn't want the pants of two crackheads myself. Um, Marlo, again, we'll, you know, we'll find out plenty on him, but even initially without, even the first time we saw this scene, even the first time I saw this scene, you knew that this guy was somebody that was somebody important. Um, even in that short scene, um, and his him saying "do it or don't" just sets up his economical way of how he just you know speaks. Not a lot of words, just not like it's not going to be a lot of words. So we get an introduction to Marlo briefly, and Bubbles and and Bubbles and uh, Johnny being Bubbles and Johnny. What are your thoughts? You got Bubbles. Great reintroduction of uh, Bubbles and Johnny back into the back into the story because um, they didn't have a lot to do last season, and then uh, great introduction of Marlo and his crew and some of his crew. So we have we go to Carcetti, Rawls, and Burrell. They are of course at a they are of course at a sub council committee. Subcancel committee meeting. Carcetti is the chairman of the subcancel committee that oversees the police force. Um, murders, of course, are going up around the district, and you have Rawls and Burrell. Rawls has been Rawls has been promoted to um, deputy ops as Burrell. Of course, Burrell, and he's under Burrell, who is um, acting commissioner, and they have to explain to the council why these murders are going up. Um, Carcetti, you know, goes in on him, goes, you know, 
doesn't fully go in on him as he will in, in a Ferguson, but um, kind of, you know, get an introduction to him. And Carcetti, after the meeting's over, Carcetti pulls uh, Burrell inside, pulls Burrell aside and wants to meet with him for lunch. Um, I didn't, I, it's certainly not a coincidence that you have introduction scenes back-to-back with Marlowe and Carcetti. That was not, that was definitely not, that was definitely by design. Um, what were your thoughts on this on this scene? Yeah, um, like again, like they're making their rounds. They're introducing the new characters to us, set, setting up uh, kind of some of their components. The the only thing that I wanted to say, other than what what you already said, setting setting everything up, setting the table, was. Um, it, it it will be fairly obvious fairly quickly what the wire's up to in terms of like what the overall tone of this season is going to be about and what new they're going to introduce. But um, before the wire, there wasn't really any other show or program that kind of peel back the curtain of how decisions get made in different places. And this is a further, um, this is further diving deeper for the show in terms of how decisions get made and opening up the political landscape of the show. Yeah, no, yeah, we're, and we'll, we'll, we'll flush out some of that later in the episode too, in terms of how how things go, how things are going politically, um, and of course throughout the season. Um, yeah, that, that's that's essentially what the character of Carcetti represents, right? Like Marlo will represent, will come to represent the new leveling up of the drug trade. Um, Carcetti will represent the political will of a city. No question about it. Um, you have. Kima, McNulty, and Freeman, Freeman, excuse me, are in the car, are in the car. They're, they're scoping out one of Prop Joe's dealers named Drock. Um, he's, of course, he is related to uh, Prop Joe's, his nephew. Now, they're, you know, they are um, simply hoping that, um, you know, they're simply listening to him on the wire and, and this guy, of course, this guy is not a big time. He, right now, he's not. He's just not important. Um, he's just a dealer. He's a street level dealer, but talks just does the most talking on the wire that that you will ever hear. But the problem is, he doesn't. You know, if they if he gets busted, it really doesn't put any dent into um, into the case. Um, so they listen. They're kind of watching. They're listening to him. As they, uh, they're watching him, and then they, of course, you have Freeman play a tape of him talking on the wire and, and actually saying the word cocaine. Uh, quick scene, but uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, set up. Just, just a lot of setup for what's going to happen later on. Bubbles and Johnny go to the uh, junkyard. They get the money for, for the, they get money for the parts, and of course, and. <laughs> And you know, quick scene, but the dude says, you know, you could use no, you're not wearing any pants. So they, um, so we see them continue on uh, their journey. 
uh, together. And this scene was a quick scene, but that, and definitely was a, a scene for a setup for well, uh, definitely a setup as well. Um, Burrell Carcetti. So Burrell and Carcetti meet for lunch. Uh, Burrell, not Burrell, Carcetti's telling him a story about a guy that works with uh, under Jimmy about Jimmy Carter. And he's really in this scene trying to trying to, without question, finesse Burrell, finesse Burrell um, and trying to fill out Burrell and finesse him. Burrell, of course, is not going along with it at all because, you know, Carcetti says, you know, if you need anything, uh, you know, and you know, and you don't want Royce to know about it, you can come to me. Burrell, that immediately triggers Burrell as to say, no, I believe in chain of command. I serve under Clarence Royce. Um, and, you know, that's, that was that at the, in terms of that scene. So see Carcetti plant some seeds in regards to uh, how he's, you know, in regards to what direction he's trying to go in. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, like, like um, so like the initial kind of, uh, uh, I mean, like uh, every, like we already said, this is episode one, so everything is set up. Everything is essentially set up. And so this is setting up that dynamic of, um, who Cartetti is and exactly what are his intentions. So you have Burrell, not Burrell, you have Weebay, Cuddy, Avon um, in the prison yard. You have, um, it begins with Abe with Weebay and Cuddy talking about, you know, so Cuddy's getting out, all right? And we, we get introduced to uh, Dennis Cuddy Wise. He, of course, has been in jail for 14 years. Um, and it's his last day. Um, and we basically, we, him and we better get in a conversation about what he's going to do afterwards. We of course, jokes about, you know, you know, having sex after on his first day out. That's what he would be doing. And they kind of joke before Avon comes along and, and, you know, just a absolute show of how powerful he is. Avon walks right through a baseball game. The baseball game stops as Avon is crossing the field. And just, you know, that's, you know, it's Avon is, you know, it's Avon Barksdale. So he talks to Cuddy, gives him a number, uh, basically says there's always, you know, you know, we always got work for a good soldier. And you said, ask him, you know, you still a soldier? And, you know, Cuddy is kind of, eh, no reaction. It really was, Cuddy really didn't give, didn't, didn't even have a reaction. He barely even looked at Avon. Um, not being, not disrespectfully, but just, you know, one of those, didn't give him an answer. Didn't, also didn't refuse it. Didn't refuse to take, not to take the number. So he takes a number. Avon says, call this number, hook you up, no problem. And as Cuddy, Cuddy, you know, takes a number, they smack, you know, they dab up hands, uh, hands give, gives you a, a, a goodbye handshake. And already um, you have Avon is doubting Cuddy's intentions or Cuddy's wanting to be in the game. He says, I, you know, I don't know. The joint might have, he says, tells 
tells Weebay, I don't know. The joint might have broke him. Weebay doesn't believe it. Um, Weebay is saying, you know, hey, this is a guy who shot somebody and called the cops and told somebody that he shot somebody and, you know, take me to jail. So, um, kind of, again, Avon sees it one way, Weebay sees it another. Well, certainly, if that's something to remember for later on in the season. So, you know, that's something to put a bookmark next to that. Um, very, uh, that'll be a, a very important scene for how the direction of the cat of the cutty character goes in. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Well, a couple of things. I mean, like, A, again, repetitive pattern, repeat. Uh, this is this is set up because Cuddy's a new character and they need to set up the Cuddy character. They're also reintroducing us to to um to Weebay and Avon as they present themselves in season three. So a lot of good stuff to give give them a lot of good things to do in order to either further what we know about the characters or establish a new character. Also using Avon and, and Weebay standing next to uh, to Cuddy already by de facto lets us know how big of a deal Cuddy was. The fact that they know him and are not him says that right up. But also, do you, like it is very important for all of us to remember the very first words of substance that was uttered for this season was reform. Reform is everything for this season. And so... We're going to have, we've already seen a reform agent. Well, I'm trying, I'm trying to think like in terms of like how you said, anyways, whatever. The reform agents are uh, Marlo, are Carcaddy, yep. are uh, Bunny Coven, and, and, um, and who are we talking about just now? Cuddy, Cuddy. No, 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 no. Who, who? Yeah, Cuddy. Thank you. Sorry. Um, and Cuddy. Um, those, those are the reform agents. Um, and they're each going to put put out put out their different scenario and how to reform the different thing that they're reforming. So, anyways, this is this is this is our introduction to Cuddy. Also, before we move on to the next scene, um, Avon says something. Says something interesting. He says. I come home, there's going to be a little hell to be paid. What did you, what did you make of that, that statement? Um, I mean, all we have to do is link it to the, what he said last season. Hold on one second. When he was talking to um, Stringer. Stringer, and he's like, yeah, you can run it to to run it as you see fit until I get back. So there's they've already done the setup. So Avon knows he's coming back. He knows when he's coming back. He knows the date. So that's what he means. They when he gets back, there's gonna be hell to pay. Because Avon's not Avon is not capitalism. <laughs> In terms of like what like the government that we Avon's not Stringer. Let's let's keep it to keep it. Avon's not Stringer. Avon doesn't subscribe to Stringer's plan. His view of the game. That's not Avon's view of the game. Avon has a different view 
So if string is capitalism, Avon will be communism. So we go to uh, Bubbles and Johnny. They go in the corner trying to buy drugs. Um, and they um, don't have, a, just frankly, don't have enough money to buy uh to buy drugs, to buy or the amount of drugs that they wanted. Um, of course, they had to go buy. They had to go. They had to go some pants. They had to go. So they. So yeah, yeah. The, you know, the uh, they had you know drugs or pants. They chose pants over the drugs. Um, and uh, the the young dealers are just not trying to hear. They like they try they try to run some game, cut some deals with the young dealers. These young dealers. Um, which we'll get to know over the course of the season, just not uh, like they're like, no, they're not trying to hear it. Plus, they don't, they're, and I think the important thing that come out of this scene that I've thought about watching this now versus years ago or how many times I watched it, there was no, these are new dealers, so they don't know Bubbles or Johnny. There's no established relationship. Maybe if they if they were Barksdale people and they knew them, maybe they're coming there. Maybe I'm not saying for sure, but these these dealers right here. Uh, these, oh, these man, that's not, like, you, know, you don't you don't stay in business long. I, right? No, I, 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 I no, I'm not saying definite, but that but with these people, there's drugs no way like that. Yeah, there's no way that they're gonna uh, that they're gonna cut uh, Bubbles and Johnny any any type of deal. So. Um, you had that, you had that going on. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, set up. Yeah, Burrell and Daniels, um, discussing the current wiretap. Um, of course, you know, Daniels lays out a strategy that, uh, in terms of how they're going to try to get to uh, some of the, the higher ups, whether it be a prop Joe or a stringer, um, Burrell then asked him, asked Daniels about Marla Daniels, um, who of course has uh, political aspirations of her own. Um, so he, you know, he's speaking, he's kind of, he's speaking through Royce because Royce wants to know more about the people that, you know, that he's, you know, wants to know more about his people. Because you remember Daniels, he gave Daniels, he put Daniels name on a list to uh, to possibly uh, to possibly a major, it didn't go through as of yet. So, Burrell, you know, again, Burrell was asking um, through through Royce, probably through Royce about Marla Daniels. Daniels is like, you know, that's my wife's business um, in terms of you know her political things, and you know, Dan Royce tells him not Royce, but Burrell says, you know, you know, Royce wants to know about the people that you know that he's going to be connected to. So a little, you know, I don't gonna say a little cat and mouse between the two, but a um, little given, you know, had to be, there was some, I mean, Daniels, not Daniels, um, Burrell didn't fuck over, didn't completely fuck over uh, Daniels. He just didn't get, Daniels just didn't get everything that he thought that he was going to get from uh, Burrell. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, set up the political moves. So you have um, 
McNulty and uh, Bunk are at a baseball game with Bunk's, with, with, with Bunk's sons. Um, also, McNulty sees, um, McNulty sees his ex-wife with uh, there, she's there with her kids. They're they're supposed to meet up during the uh, during the game to kind of so McNulty can can uh, get his kids. Um, so he sees so he's obviously he sees her. I think I went. I was just actually I went ahead, but basically he see they're at a game. They're at a baseball game with Bunk's kids, and McNulty sees her um, with her uh, new boyfriend, which we'll we'll see how that plays out in the uh, later on in the um, in the episode. Yeah, Bubbles and Johnny getting kind of high, <laughs> not apparently not high enough for Bubbles. Um, Bubbles is completely besides himself. Um, first of all, he says he's lamenting, lamenting the whole day. They he puts all the, they put all this work in, and almost get shot, and basically have to forfeit their money to buy pants, and barely, barely get high. So Bubbles right now is not in a good place, to say the least. Johnny was kind of like, you know, we'll go back at it tomorrow. And Bubbles says, I'm worried about, you know, I'm concerned about today. You know, forget about tomorrow, I'm concerned about today. So we can see, gives you a sense kind of where Bubbles was, kind of the, kind of the direction that Bubbles was headed in, <laughs> saying, you know, and we, we've seen Bubbles did here before, saying, is, 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 this, is all of this worth it? Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely setting up for for that kind of like that thought process. Is this worth it? Um, who do I need to get back in contact with? And of course, he's going to have some people he can get back in contact with. So you have uh, Detective Norris at a murder scene and uh, tells the unit to call Bunk. Of course, we know Bunk is on his night. Is, is that baseball game on his night off? When the night when another when this you know tells the unit to call Bunk because another murder is reported, um, then we have Bunk and McNulty back at the game. Uh, Bunk gets called in on his night off. They have five murders in one night, um, so Bunk gets called in on it on on his uh, night off. Uh, your thoughts on those kind of scenes combining? Yeah, just set setting up for the for yeah, just setting up where the characters are. We see Cuddy finally making it home as he's walking home through tumbleweed and a bunch of uh, row houses. He just looks, you know, kind of looks lost in a sense. He looks like, you know, just barely, and again, he's been in jail for 14 years. You can tell, and this was a well-acted, even though this was a short scene, it's extremely well-acted by um, Chad Coleman, who plays Cuddy. And just uh, you know, he looks like a he looks like a guy who just got out of jail, that served fourteen years. Like he just can't recognize the neighborhood. It's you know, he has you know he I mean he knows where his, his mother's house is, but he just he's looking around, looking around the streets and looking at the row houses and just you know, kind of you know, you know we were talking about perform, just looking like a guy who is completely out of his element. Um, quick scene, but I thought important scene um, for the character. What were, your, what were your thoughts on, on, on Cuddy in the scene? 
Perfect. I'm getting well acted by uh, Chad Coleman. Um, just his facial, his body language, facial expressions. Uh, Rawls and Major Marvin and Burrell, they had these meetings with all the commanders called Comstat meetings. Uh, you had Major Marvin trying to explain the murders. And of course, this guy, we know, we, we know that this guy is incompetent um, because you can say what you want about Ross. He's an asshole. He's this, he's that. He does know how to police and he does know when to call bullshit. He, I mean, he can see, he can sift bullshit a mile away. So he's basically telling this guy, like, why'd you do, you know, your tactics are, are some, your tactics are shit. Like, why'd you do it this way? This is the type of policing, this is the type, the, this is the type of policing that caused five murders in one night. So he's ripping this dude a new one while you have Burrell talking to another guy, uh, whispering about the meeting he had with Carcetti and saying that Carcetti tried to basically turn him against the, uh, against the mayor. So you had that going on during this Comstat meeting. And of course, all the commanders at this meeting, uh, the commanders and their second commands. Uh, so we see Lieutenant, we see Colvin and also Lieutenant Mello at this meeting as well. Um, a lot of comps that means to come throughout the course of this season. Some of the, you know, you'll, you'll see some great scenes uh, in these comps that meetings. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, like, like I'm. It's it's funny, right? Because it's like so much what we talked about has been setting up a character, meaning a human being. Right. This is actually setting up the Comstack area. Yes. And we know how important that's going to become um, throughout this season. And then going forward from there, I mean, you know, I, I just got to say the word just because it just wasn't said before. And now it's so intrinsic to everything that we do. Juke in the stats. So, so many, so many big time moments and big time things are going to happen in this room. So this is kind of like our first introduction to it. No question about it. Um, yeah, the detail, Perlman and Perlman. Perlman's going, uh, not Perlman, Sidner's going undercover. Um, of course, Sidner didn't, Sidner was a, uh, saw a lot of him in season one, didn't see him hardly at all. I don't think we saw him at all in season two. So he's back, he's back in the mix um, as a, as an undercover. Um, So they, so we find out that, you know, they're getting ready for a raid, uh, for a bust, not raid, for a bust. Perlman finds out, realizes that Daniels is living out of his office, living out of, out of the office. And, um, and then we have the, then they have the busted drug dealer along with Sidner, that Sidner was, uh, was working undercover. Um, Lot going on in this, a couple things going on in this scene. Um, what were your thoughts on on that? Or what were your thoughts on the Pearlman Daniels dynamic? Yeah, I was gonna say. I, I mean, there's a lot going on, but not really because they're not touching on anything, right? right. So Pearlman just just it's the noticing. We see it. It's just like the the noticing of it and set it out like that. And um, you know, even though they set up like, yeah, this is our move that we want 
trying to potentially, you know, get the the nephew. Um, no, no one has said that with a, a lot of confidence. So they're setting up for that scene, but even within the setup, it's not like uh, you're like, wow, like the big, like this is going to be a winning strategy. Right. Yeah. Right. So you get back to Cuddy. Cuddy calls the number, and of course, that Avon gave him. He receives a package that's that was directed to him by Shamrock. Shamrock lets him know, hey, once you you know get that, take that package off the corner, and when you are ready for some real work, you know, let us know. Um, we'll see how this plays out over the course of the episode. This so this is just definitely a setup for how this episode will will uh, conclude. Um, Daniels and Marla. Uh, Daniels goes to uh, goes to uh, goes back to the house. At this point, they are just together for appearance's sake. Um, he comes in and then heads upstairs. Uh, he comes in and then heads immediately upstairs. And then after, when she's meeting with Delicate Watkins and some other political figures, uh, she's of course she's you know running you know she's running for uh, running for office. And then they um, they talk at the end of the scene, and you know basically he says, hey, you know whatever I can do to uh, help you out, you know you were there for me all those years, so whatever I can do to help you out. So yeah, we and it's something we already knew at the end of last season that they are completely uh, separated, and at this point they are, you know, he's just trying to help her, you know, get to her goals, and and trying to he's trying to help her. Uh, help her out with her respective political uh, aspirations and career. What are your thoughts on this thing? Yeah, couldn't agree more. Their relationship is dead. They're just helping each other out. Uh, Rawls and Burrell back at the councilman um, at our, the councilman's meeting are completely just being ripped by Carcetti for a for just for misusing. In his, in his eyes, in his eyes, misusing de- departmental resources. Apparently, there was a trip to Miami, um, and he's basically saying that, basically says that you know, how could that be? How could that benefit what's going on in your in the city right now? So Carcetti coming after Ross and Burrell, and Burrell in particular, uh, in this subcommittee uh, meeting. Um, Kind of paralleling the Comstat meeting when you think about it, so you see Rawls and Burrell on the other side of of it when they when you when you saw Rawls being doing the ripping at the Comstat meeting. Um, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the perfect comparison, right? Because that's what that's what we mean when we say political pressure. My your top person puts pressure on the next top person to put pressure on the next top person, put pressure on the next top person till you put the right pressure on the right supervisor who can get the thing done. And so you're absolutely right. The connection between the ComSat room and this are a one-to-one. Like this is the direct connection um, between those two. And they're now what the brilliance of what we'll see this season, but this is like a nice example of it, is that not only will it show us 
how the politics get done, but it will then also illuminate past decisions um, that were made. And so uh, you see that Carcetti is using the media to put pressure on Rawls because, yeah. is it Rawls? You mean uh, Royce. 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 No, 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 no. Burrell. Uh, Burrell, thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. To put pressure on Burrell so that Burrell can be his snitch, essentially. So it's a political, I mean, like, this is the political game. This is, the, this is we're watching it in action right now. So on one instance, they're kind of like showing us exactly what happens, letting us know how certain decisions got made and then setting up Carcetti for what they're setting him up for in the near future and the far future. So you have Rawls, Burrell, um, back at the back at the Comstat meeting. They give a mandate that the murders needed to, the murders uh, don't exceed two seventy five. Um, now keep in mind they are already at two fifty. Um, Hoven asked. How do you know? Uh, Initially, they asked. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Initially, they asked for two fifty, but they were already at two thirty-two for two. That's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So yeah, two fifty. Because yeah, so they know two fifty wasn't going to be doable. So yeah, so yeah, so Burrell, so Royce was like, so let's say two seventy five, along with his with his uh, assistant, and then they, of course, that goes back to the Comstat. They were that, that, you know, that we hear that from the Comstat at the Comstat meeting, saying that they, you know, the mandate has been set at two seventy five, and Colvin says, how do you make a body disappear? And basically, you know, Ross and Burrell are not trying to hear it from that standpoint. Basically, Burrell was like, Burrell said, all of you are in this position because you were appointed. You can be replaced with people who will get our numbers. It's just that simple. Um, and then you hear Valchek, as everybody's leaving, kind of, you know, says to Burrell, not Burrell, uh, says to Colvin, you know, what got into you? And Colvin says, uh, Coba says, hey, you know, I'm six months from my retirement on, on a major's pension. On a major's pension, what they, you know, what they're going to do to me? Uh, put a bookmark next to that one because uh, he will find out. Um, you have Cuddy um, watching the corner boys as he's trying to figure out what to do with this package. Remember, Cuddy went to jail. He was an ex-Barksdale enforcer, so he's not a drug dealer. So he, you know, giving him a package is like, you know, it, it, it has no value to him because he doesn't know how, you know, he doesn't know what to do with it. So he's watching, watching some corner boys move drugs and some ideas and his wheels start spinning. We'll see how that plays out. What were your thoughts? No, first of all, what were your thoughts on, I'm sorry, I skipped, uh, what were your uh, thoughts? Yeah, set up. Comstat, but even before yeah. that, what were your thoughts on that Comstat meeting? The um, 
Which contact meeting? With uh, the, with the mandate, the two seventy five murders that when and when Colvin said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah, was yeah. they were they were not happy. They were not happy. Yeah, no, nah, they weren't happy about that at all. Uh, but also, uh, uh, the thing that I when you were talking, the thing that I like is that the wire does is when they use a past character to prop up a future character. So I love them using Valcheck to right. kind of give Bunny that boost. Like, okay, yeah. Y'all know how big of a deal I am. I'm sitting here talking to Bunny like he's my equal. So that gives him a rub without having to do a lot of explanation about how important he he is in the whole scheme of things. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, the cutting scene was a setup. Watching the corner boys. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, the detail on Daniels discussed the next case. Um, again, McNulty wants Stringer. Perlman and Daniels are ready to move on. McDonald, of course, has been under, under not has been, you know, surveilling this case along with Sidner, like the better part of like last six months. He doesn't want all his work to go to waste for nothing. But the bottom line is at this point, they're getting nothing. They're like there is they're getting nothing out of the case. Like not like they the steps are they're making incremental progress at best. Even Lester realizes this. Uh everybody realizes this except Jimmy McNulty, and um, Daniel, Perlman and Daniels are ready to move on. Uh, Daniels basically says there are other targets out there, and we will see, we will see how this plays out. What were your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, McNulty is being a, a, a baby. Yep. Uh, Cuddy and Fruit, Fruit, of course, is a dealer a uh, mid-level dealer who has his own, who, ha- who has his own corner. Uh, they make a deal with a package, with, with Cuddy's, Cuddy's package, 60-40, 60-40 split. Uh, even, even seeing this in the beginning, at the first time you saw it, you knew this wasn't going to turn out well for Cuddy. You got something, this was not going to turn out well. Just completely out of his, nope. completely out of his element. Nope. They nope. saw fruit. Fruit seeds, fresh meat, basically. Oh, this, look, look at this old dude. Get, get what? No, I was just going to say, guess what? Drug dealers, you don't know. Not trustworthy. Who knew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, don't, that, that's not, yeah, that's, that's not going to, uh, that's not going to end well. And of course, I mean, fruit, Fruit, by the way, knows that, like, you know, this dude, like, Fruit probably in his mind was saying, why would you, you have a package, just, you know, you had, like, move it yourself. Like, what, so Fruit, yeah, Fruit took complete advantage of this situation. We'll see how this plays out at the, by the end of the episode, of course, um, and so on. Uh, Colvin, Herc, and Carver, uh, they're, at, they're at the station. Again, Colvin sees more pointless arrests by her, by Herc and Carver, with nothing coming out of it. Um, Herc had a line at the end of this scene, which was, uh, it was classic Herc. Herc was like acting like assholes in front of sworn officers. <laughs> that's, one, that's one of the charges. <laughs> oh man, that's, yeah, I gotta love Herc. But again, this this was continuing a theme over the course of the episode with that Coven is not happy with what he's seeing in, within his own 
precinct in his own squad in regards to Hart, Herc, and Carver. Um, and we'll, of course, we'll see how this plays out over the course of the season. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? So we go, we go McNulty is back at the detail, uh, along with uh, Carolyn Massey. The office is basically clear, it's basically empty besides those two. And McNulty decides to go through Barksdale's case files from, from season one. So we'll see how that plays out, uh, certainly over the course of the season. And then you have Colvin riding through the district and seeing what the corners are looking like. And this is during this is during the evenings, during the nighttime. He's riding through the district as a major, just looking at the corners, looking at what's going on. Uh, what were your thoughts on, 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 on what Colvin was seeing and possibly what Colvin was thinking when he was uh, riding? Yeah, yeah. This is the beginning of that form idea in his head. Like you can see, just like you said, he's not happy with He's not happy with Comstat, so he's not happy with how they're being asked to police. He's not happy with how his troops are doing the policing, and he's not seeing any of the results, any good results from it. As a matter of fact, he's seeing his streets dominated with uh, So, time to do something else. That's, that's, you can see the beginning of the idea starting right there. Oh yeah, the wheels were. It seems like the wheels were spinning during that particular scene. Uh, question um, for Colvin. So we go back to McNulty. He's looking at the case files from 2002, and he tells Massey, uh, Carolyn Massey, of course, we who we met earlier with the decoding of the messages on the wire. He says, "You don't look at what you did before. You do the same shit all over again," which is kind of ironic that McNulty would say some shit like that, considering how many times he's had repetitive behavior and we'll see that throughout the series and for the rest of the series. So I, I just found that, uh, just, found it, just found it ironic that that would come out of his mouth. Um, and also- I have a comment whenever I don't know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give, me, give, me a, give me one second. Also, you can connect this, you can connect this to the epigraph uh, with Bodie with no matter how many times you get burnt, you keep doing the same thing over and over. That was in direct connection to that statement as well. So brilliant writing from that standpoint um, by the writers. All right, what were your, what were your thoughts? No, my, my only thought was, I was, agree, I was just piggybacking off of what you said. Um, I was gonna say, uh, right message, wrong person. Yep. Great message. Yep, good message. Yeah, You're the message. one who cannot hear that message. Not you. No, no. Yeah, so we, we saw, you know, he says that, then we see him, the last part of that scene, we see him uh, looking into D'Angelo on a computer. And of course, we will see how that plays out over the course of, um, of the season. But um, yeah. Uh, cutting in fruit, um, like you know, as predicted, and as even even the first time you watched it, you saw this. 
you have predicted that, of course, fruit cheats Cuddy out of the package. Um, Cuddy goes back um, to the corner, and he's in the alleyway. They're in the alleyway, and you see a young lady. Um, you see the young lady giving head to multiple multiple uh, dealers, and Cuddy uh, sees this, and Fruit says, you know, basically, you know, what the fuck are you looking at? You know, you want to go, in terms of a young lady, um, and then Cuddy uh, asks about the package, and Fruit says, hey, man, you know, shit went bad, cops got it, and then Cuddy says, you know, back in the day, if a player mentioned the package got stolen, taken by a cop, he had a number for the police officer's uh, name and what have you information. And I was like, even even back in 2004, that was, seen, that was dated, but it just shows you how old Cuddy was. Cause you know, he was, you know, Cuddy was an eighties. He was a eighties uh, uh, muscle for Barksdale. And basically Fruit just says, you know, you know, basically, you know, get the fuck out of here. This ain't back in the day, he pulls a gun on him and says, you know, yeah, walk it off motherfucker. Remember, Certainly remember this interaction between those two. This will not be the last interaction between Cuddy and Fruit. I'll say that. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's setting up. It's definitely setting up. Yeah, yeah, Cuddy. Um, I, just, I mean, I think they did an excellent job of just depicting his character just being, you know, can just completely out of his element. Like the game, you know, the game has passed him by from that standpoint. And rightfully so. He's been in jail for 14 years. He's not gonna know what's going on. You know, if he went to jail, this 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 soon this episode, this was shot in 2004. So what, that's what, 94, 1990. So, you know, it is the difference between the drug, I mean the drug game changes all the time by month by year so yeah, like that's you know 14 years out the drug game is a attorney so I, I thought they did an excellent job of just depicting this guy who ex-enforcer but no longer nobody knows who he is outside of Barstels and yeah. it's just like yo you know walking no, out that's exactly I was going to also add in uncertain if he wants this life anymore yeah, because I think there's one part that is like being uncomfortable, like I don't know how to do this. But also, there's another part that I think that they're trying to get at. That's like, do I even want to do this? Right, right. The risk reward is that risk worth the reward to me anymore? Does that does that is that the same? Do I even have the same equation? after doing 14 years in jail and coming back out. Yeah, no question about so it. I just wanted to, I just wanted to say, say that part might be somewhere in there as well. Yeah, yeah. So we see the final scene, Colvin and Colvin stops at a corner and one of the, uh, one of Fruit's dealers that's under, under Fruit, young guy named Justin tries to sell him drugs um, now, the other dealers on the corner are just laughing at him because he's like, don't you recognize that the dude's a cop? And 
Coven is just blown away by this. Like Coven is like, what? And Coven then puts on his hat with all with his shield and you know his his his, his shield with the shield and all that on top of it. Uh, to basically say to basically signify that yeah, I'm a I'm a cop. I'm a commander. I mean, I'm a cop, or whatever. Not a commander, but and he, you know, Coven is besides himself. Uh, doesn't give a it just gives a, a look of just uh, you know disappointment and confusion. Uh, great acting by uh, Robert Wisdom, who plays Coven in that scene. Um, as that wrap wrapped up the episode, and really a perfect way to end the episode, considering the magnitude of how, uh, of Coven, of, of, of the type of role Coven's gonna play during uh, this uh, during this season. So that what, what were your thoughts on that final scene? Um, these kids today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was kind of surprised that the dude, that the, that the young boy didn't recognize that he was a cop. I admit I was kind of surprised by that. These kids today. But again, I think there's, again, so there's a reason why they chose that particular kid, because we'll see how his story plays out. So now, that I'm, thinking, now I'm thinking about it, that's, yeah, I was saying, I was giving anything away. There's a reason why we you will see why that particular that particular character was chosen to uh try to sell drugs to, to Colvin and not know that he was a cop. We'll we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Because I was like, I was like, how, like, I was thinking myself when I first saw it, when I first saw this, not when I first, yeah, when I first saw it, like how did he not know that this dude didn't look at the, the car and the like yeah, I mean, I was like, how did he know that this guy wasn't a cop? Um, and it wasn't even trying, like, Coven's not undercover. It wasn't even trying to hide the fact that he's a cop. He's in a marked, a, a marked vehicle and, and what have you. But there's a reason why uh, they chose that particular character. Yeah. Coven's a captain. His, his, uh, a major. His undercover day major. Sorry. Yep. His, his undercover days are long past. Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. That he was not dead. Yeah, that the car was. Majors don't have to go undercover. No, no, yeah, yeah. You see, if you see a major driving a marked car in uniform, yeah, that's that's not. There's no hiding. He wasn't trying to hide. There was no, you know, nothing inconspicuous about his appearance uh, on that corner at all. He wasn't trying to be. He was. He really. He wasn't. He was just. He was trying to survey, see what's going on, survey the landscape. Um, so that's, that's not a major's job. A major's job description isn't about being inconspicuous. No, no, no. They, I'm sure they want you to know that they're majors. I'm sure once you get to, you, get yes. to that level, you yeah. I, I earned these stripes, I earned yeah. these bars. I want you to know yeah. I'm, I'm a major. <laughs> it's like generals. A general's not gonna be a sniper in no. the trees no. somewhere. No, <laughs> no. No, not, I, not, not at all. Them days is long past. And that might have been one of the things he did on his way to being a general, but them days is long gone. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah, far gone. Yeah, we talked about themes. And of course, you bring up the biggest theme and the theme with, and the theme with that was, that was of this season would be 
is going to be reformation. Um, yeah. Reformation is going to be the, the theme that drives this entire season. And again, you know, I, I talked about it earlier with the, um, these, this, there are new realities for these characters. There are new realities for, you know, the Barksdale's, the Barksdale's organization no longer, they don't have the towers to lean back on. Where are they going you know, where, where where to do, do about territory? You know, Cuddy's new reality. Out of jail, you're no longer in the comfort zone of being, if you want to call it a comfort zone. But, you know, to be honest with you, a lot of, a lot of people that, were lo- that are locked up do, do see jail as a comfort zone even when they get out. And you see a lot of guys just can't uh, adjust to reality uh, coming out of jail, especially after you come out of jail for a long time. So you see Cuddy having to deal with his new reality of, you know, basically he has, like, up to this point, we, we don't know what is, you know, he can't, he's not doing what, we see him take the package, but what is his skill set coming out of jail for 14 years? What, so what he's faced with a new reality. Um, even with McNulty, uh, yeah, you want Stringer, but you know what? The work and our, you know, our, our mandate might be going, is, seems like it's going in a different direction. How are you going to deal with that reality? So a number of characters are facing different realities and how they respond to those realities will drive um, this season without question. Char- the MVP Chardin Award. I had a very difficult time with the MVP award, so I'm I'm going to turn on turn it over to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely go. I got it. So Cuddy's my MVP. This this entire episode is about um like like our they're in this episode. It's this episode because we know this is about setting up everybody who we don't. Need. Uh, reformers coming in and out of all the reformers um in this episode the one that i remember all the time is cutting yeah yeah and then my chardin award sorry my chardin award would go to um would go to marlo uh just because that was such a standout way in which he introduces himself which they introduce him uh and like you said it will become a staple, man, a few words, but I just didn't even know that. So in order to carry all that gravitas that you talked about, um, he had to do that without, with very few words. If, if I've been consistent with anything through these conversations, because I love the scenes where the actors give us a lot, but say very little. So I have to give Marlo my Chardin award. Yeah, I gave my Chardin to Cuddy. I thought his performance was brilliant. Um, and I would lean towards him for my MVP as well. I think you talked me into that. Uh, I almost almost went with Carcetti, almost. But yeah, Cuddy, Cuddy drove this episode. Uh, this isn't Carcetti's MVP episode. No, 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 it, it's not, no, no, he has no. some coming. Yeah, he has a few. This one, yeah. I, I guess yeah. I made Carcetti a can. I mean, I guess the reason why I had Carcetti as a candidate because I, I, I see what he's trying to, I, I like the seeds that he's planting in terms of where he's going. And I thought that during that scene with Burrell, I don't even think he expected Burrell to flip. 
at all. I just like I just like how he just I just kind of like like how he was kind of playing chess from a standpoint of just seeing where Burrell was at. I thought he I thought he did that very yeah. well. But no, yeah. we, we there's there'll be plenty. There'll be plenty on Carcetti, and he he will he without question will have some MVP episodes throughout the course of, of his remaining of, of the time he has on the rest of the series, and pro- probably multiple MVP episodes. To be honest with you, he had he definitely had some moments. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, but this was this was a Cuddy episode. Um, tremendous job out of out of the actor um, Chad Coleman. Um, in in this episode, just you know, and, and they, it felt like the episode was th- was 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 um, was told in a way through his eyes. To be honest with you, if you think about it, um, that you know that episode was a again to to what we were saying earlier, just a, a classic setup episode. Um, they had to introduce everything that was introduced in that particular episode had to be introduced. Because there's going to be so much to flush out, you know, with the police, with the criminals, with the politics. There'll be so, there's so much to flush out in terms of that in this season that they had to, you know, they had to have an episode like this to begin the season, so that you know you'll be able to will be able to you know piece everything, piece a lot of things together. So you know you you know you kind of it wasn't a bad episode, but you got to kind of sacrifice, you know the now for the future and in terms of how they, how the storytelling, you know, it's like, you know, like we talked last night, why is a novel? It's a novel, you know, you don't get the finale and pay on page one of a, of a great book. So I had no problem with the episode. Totally understand why Vulture would have it ranked 52. Um, it was good to be, you know, to be back in season, uh, good to get season three started because I, this is a classic. This is a tremendous season. Uh, to watch everything unfold. Any final thoughts on this episode? The Wire is very happy with the pace it creates. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they they are like, um, they are not, and this is what made the show so brilliant and separated from all the other shows. They move at their own pace. No one ever dictated to them how, well, with the exception of season five, and we'll get, we'll talk about that, of how fast they or how of their pacing, and that was a that was that was a situation that they had no control over, the season five in terms of uh, of the pacing because of the, the the episodes being you know because of the episodes being cut, um, but no, they they're gonna move at their own pace, like they they did not allow what was on television in 2002, 2003, 2004, when the show was shot to dictate their pace. They're going to tell their story their way and with their own pacing. And that, listen, that, you know, that takes a lot of, takes a lot of, you know, takes a lot of heart, a lot of guts, because we know, we know even back in 2002, three, oh, in the early 2000s, stuff was still moving fast even at that point. So I was into it and definitely will be looking forward to uh, flushing out this season. Just a tremendous story in terms of the, the theme of reformation. All right, Robert Sapp, thanks for uh, joining me. We will see you next time.
All right, sir. Have a good one. Stay right. safe, stay healthy. No question. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. As always, thanks to Robert Sapp for joining, joining the program. We will see you next week with episode with episode two, season three of The Wire. I'm out.